Hi everyone, welcome to Human Behaviour Club and uh, this session on becoming age-proof with um, Glycan Age. And we've got uh, Professor Gordon Louch with us and Nicolina Louch. I'm Kotha Hajat, I'm a public health doctor and I run a room here every Thursday on lifestyle and behaviour change. So really excited to have uh, two extremely intelligent people here to tell us about how we can use glycans and glycan age to predict disease states. Now, just to give a little bit of intro, we're moving into the realm of personalised medicine, but the, the definition of personalisation is very loose and traditionally it's, it's been used um, to denote uh, genotyping and now increasingly uh, maybe uh, microbiome for uh, personalised nutrition and a few other factors. But actually, there are other ways to personalise um, medicine and particularly prevention and lifestyle interventions. And so I'm really excited to look at how we can use ways of measuring um, the impact of some of our lifestyle interventions. And uh, both Gordon and Nina have been doing quite a lot of work on this. So I'll, I'll uh, stop there and I'll let Gordon and Nina introduce themselves. Gordon, start with you. So I'm a scientist. I work in the field of glycoscience for close to 30 years now. And uh, glycoscience is something what actually not so many people know, but the majority of proteins are glycosylated and uh, glycosylation is the most elaborate and most extensive post-translational modification that integrates genetics, epigenetics and environment. And we try to apply it in personal medicine. We already analyzed over 150,000 different individuals from different clinical epidemiological cohorts, and we have a lot of fascinating information about glycans and what can they tell us about um, disease risk and disease progression. And one of the first biomarkers which we already translated into routine use is the glycan age. And we spin out a company called the glycan age which is run by my daughter, Nicolina, and she can tell you a little bit more about the glycan age. So hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Nina. And um, uh, well, glycan age is a biomarker that Gordon's been researching for the last decade. But there's a, a number of other uh, glycan biomarkers which we're also looking to uh, take to market. And I can talk more from the consumer perspective of how people are using it today, how it's applied in clinic. Uh, and what it means as well. But it's a simple test that you can do at home. It's a finger prick blood test. Uh, it tells your biological age by looking at the glycan composition uh, of your IgG, which is the most prevalent antibody in, in blood. And the aging theory behind it is aging or the accumulation of low-grade chronic inflammation uh, that uh, we accumulate as we age, but it can be accelerated with poor lifestyle uh, disease and lots of other factors. Thanks both. So um, could you explain a little bit for the listeners what we mean by glycans? What are they? And what's the difference between glycation and glycosylation? So the first thing is that glycation and glycosylation are two completely different things. So please do not uh, think about glycation 
regarding anything that we'll be talking about today. So glycation is a chemical reaction between glucose in blood and amino groups in different proteins. We usually quantify it as HbA1c to see how what is the average level of glucose in the past weeks. Glycosylation is a post-translational modification of proteins. It happens to majority of proteins which have been invented after we became multicellular. And this is a very elaborated process. Hundreds of genes are involved and they produce glycans, which are chemical structures, part of a protein, which modify protein function, they modify protein structure, and then in this way, more protein function. One of the best known examples of the importance of glycans are the immunoglobulins, where glycans are essential for all effector functions. For example, now majority of these new wonder drugs are glycoproteins, monoclonal antibodies, and there is a whole line of glycoengineering where there are new drugs coming to the market with optimized glycans, which make them more effective. But this also happens normally in our body. Glycans change with time, and also all the immunoglobulins uh, are regulated by alternative glycosylation. So the same antibody, the same protein molecule, for example, can be pro-inflammatory. They could cause inflammation either by activating complement or it could activate ADCC and then kill the target cell. But in the same time, it can suppress inflammation through a completely different molecular mechanism, and this is determined by antibody glycosylation. This is just one example. There are many other examples where other proteins are regulated by glycosylation. So I think the simplest way to think about it is that glycans are kind of um, fine-tuning of protein function, which enable us to become, which enabled us to become much more complicated than a single cell bacteria, which we used to be before we developed glycosylation. So I think more simple terms for the audience is that glycans are sugars, so they're complex carbohydrates. And when we first say sugars, then people think about the sugars they eat, and which is why they think about glucose or HbA1c. But really, these are sugars we produce. They're a structural component of our cells. Uh, they regulate the functionality of our proteins, and they're a key part in making us biologically complex. And this is a whole other field of biology that needs to be popular. It's the same as microbiome. Um, maybe five years ago, we didn't know about it as much as we know now. Same as for glycans, we need to really bring them to the public and explain what they are and what they mean uh, for your health and your longevity. Great. So um, in this case, glycans are being used as a marker of aging. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about biological aging and how glycans and glyconage can be used? Nina, do you want to start? So as we have a chronological age, we also have a biological age. And I actually like when Gordon starts with the signs, but maybe about 11, okay. 12 years uh, we ago. Can, we, can, we can start. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry. The just floor is yours. So, so. Yeah, uh, answers, so uh, do we have a general audience or is this more uh, medically educated audience? To whom are we talking? 
Um, I'm just scrolling down the audience and it, it tends to be a very kind of high tech and, and uh, health literate audience, but not necessarily physicians, no. Okay, so uh, if, if I am too technical, let me know. So um, we know that one of the major drivers of aging is inflammation. And inflammation is a kind of uh, reset button which we can use locally when something gets wrong. So if we get hurt and then some kind of bacteria comes through our skin, then there is a swelling, blood comes in, all the neutrophils kill everything and this inflammation resets the damage and then everything is being rebuilt and we repair like a kind of a super robot, get damaged and then repair. The problem is that we were not built to last for 50, 60, 70 years. And uh, all the evolutionary pressure was to keep us alive while we are uh, in our reproductive age. So after the reproductive age, there's no evolutionary pressure to keep us alive. So this inflammatory processes were not optimized for a longer period. So what happens is that they become overactivated as we are getting older. And then we develop something which is called the low-grade chronic inflammation, meaning a small damages, small inflammation all around the body, which is leaving billions of small scars everywhere. And there is a theory saying that one of the major drivers of aging is this inflammaging. More inflammation, more damage, more inflammation, and we are getting older, older, and eventually we fall apart. One of the mechanisms which regulate inflammaging is the glycosylation of immunoglobulins. And when we started to look at the large cohorts of people, and we started high throughput glycomics 14 years ago, when we did our first large cohort, we realized that people are different, and that their pe people are different very much because of their difference in chronological age. So we couldn't compare glycon composition of a 20-year-old to a glycon composition of the 50-year-old. So when we were doing our clinical cohorts, we have to be very careful about the age of our patients that we were looking at. But then at one point, we tried to actually calculate the chronological age based only on the IgG glycosylation composition. So we took IgG as a single molecule, cut off the glycans, analyzed the glycans, and we could predict chronological age plus minus nine years, which is when we did it nearly a decade ago, first time, it was pretty cool because there was no other biological marker which could do it. Epigenetic lock was not developed then yet, but it was not too accurate, you know, plus minus nine years, you know, you look at the person, you can guess it's plus minus nine years. But then we learned that this, this delta, this difference between the glycan age and the chronological age is actually explained by lifestyle. So people living healthier lifestyle, they would look younger and people living unhealthier lifestyle, they would look older in our glycan test. And then when we look different diseases, people with uh, different diseases were looking older than healthy people. And then as a second step, we learned 
that the glycans actually change before people get ill. For example, uh, we see that glycans can predict uh, cardiovascular events, so heart attack or stroke, up to 10 years before they actually happen. So we start seeing changes in glycans much sooner. And then also through other lines of experiments, we found that these glycans are actually contributing to these future events because they are driving inflammation and inflammation is underlying many of the complex diseases. And then we developed this uh, glycan H test, which actually helps people to kind of monitor and maybe Nina now you can take over. So we've been in research for quite a long time, but commercially we're quite new. So we probably entered the clinical market about two years ago and then consumers a few months before COVID. Um, and when we first launched it, we launched it as a test. So it was just a test that told you a biological age. We explained the science in a more simple way. And we realized that people really don't just want to know their biological age. They want to improve it and they want to know precisely how to improve it for them. Uh, and that was a big realization because we thought we had this brilliant science, this fantastic uh, test, and we realized it's incomplete or to actually have a a function, particularly on the consumer market, it needed guidance. Uh, so we started developing this uh, team of something we call health span doctors. So they're GPs who have education, nutrition, and lifestyle medicine, who can also give you guidance. Uh, and we do also look at uh, all the associations of what we know uh, a higher or lower score can associate with. So right now, uh, you can look at it for general aging, but you can also look at it from, are you over-exercising? Are you on the wrong diet? Uh, are you under too much stress? Um, also, hopefully in the future, if you're going through menopause, this is a big part of our research at the moment. Um, and it can be quite useful because you can change it within a couple of months. So you can change your behavior. So you get guidance from a doctor. Uh, they give you a personalized uh, action plan on what to do next. And we really see within a couple of months, you can see big improvement. And we actually, as a, as a company, we started to calculate the amount of uh, glycan years that people have reduced. And we know that this is really valuable information because this acceleration of your biological age by glycans has been shown to be predictive uh, of future incidents uh, of disease. And it's also beyond those clinical markers. So it gives you this early warning that something can go wrong in the future, but it also can pinpoint to what you're doing in your lifestyle right now that's driving you there. So it's really a nice motivator uh, to change your lifestyle and your behavior today so you can have uh, better health and uh, a longer, healthier life in the future. And Katri, you wanted to talk about the diabetes study as well. Yeah, so let me just recap what you have uh, so eloquently put. So um, the glycan age can be used. It's a uh, combination of both your um, epigenetic age plus your um, the environmental um, impact and so it can be used to um, monitor the impact of lifestyle interventions but also as a predictor of um, clinical diseases. Now, I do a lot of work on, on chronic disease so if we can use a tool like this to predict before clinical onset chronic diseases, then that really could be a game changer for, for medicine and chronic conditions. So how, um, 
accurate would you say glycanages as a test for say hypertension diabetes i think um myocardial infarction and some of the other um diseases that you've written about how how sure can we be that this is a sign um of those conditions uh rather than just general inflammation or atherosclerosis or or other um changes so we have to be very careful here so uh at the moment we cannot have any medical claims because they were not evaluated by either European Medicine Agency or FDA. We can only uh, point to some of the research studies which we have done and some other people have also done. And I think at the moment this is, uh, this is clearly not a diagnostic test which will tell you you will have a heart attack in two years. There is no such a test and there will never there will probably never be such a test. But when we we did large cohort of people, 27,000 people, the samples were collected 30 years ago, and then they had a clinical follow-up for a decade. And when we looked at the glycans as the baseline, they were just IgG glycans. They were as predictive as the AHA score. So... How good is the AHA score? Equally good are the glycans, which means they are not perfect. It's not something that you can uh, uh, use as a kind of one or zero test, but they are as good as the best test we have at the moment. And also for women, uh, single glycan plus age was even a bit better than the AHA score. For diabetes, uh, these are a little bit different glycans, so it's not part of the glycan age. This is a different test. The glycan age looks at uh, immunoglobulin glycans. Uh, this test, which we internally call the diabrisk, and it's still not it's, it's still not commercially available. It's only available for uh, research collaboration. It looks at glycans at uh, other plasma proteins. Probably alpha-1 acid glycoprotein is the key we also looked at individually at alpha-1 acid glycoprotein. And this is uh, more predictive than the, since it was a German cohort, we compared it to German diabetes risk score. And uh, interestingly, we just published a couple of weeks ago a follow-up study where we looked together with a Tim Spector from King College in, in 2000 twins in three time points. And there we were able to show that these changes are not only a risk factor because they also continuously change. So you can already see the difference uh, 10 years ago and the difference between healthy people and people who will develop diabetes is getting larger and larger as people are approaching diabetes. So it's... Um, it's, we still don't know whether it's just a biomarker or a functional effector because these glycans that we are looking at are also glycans which can be found on the glucose transporters and maybe they, are, they have some kind of a role on a glucose sensing and we have a, some kind of um, studies in that direction too. So what I would say at the moment, this is still not something you can do and be confident that you will or will not develop uh, 
diabetes, but it's pretty predictive. And uh, for a specific subset of diabetes, because of course, you know, diabetes is not a single disease, it's probably at least 20 different molecular mechanisms leading to diabetes. Uh, for one of them, it's extremely predictive, and this is, um, uh, there is a subgroup of people who will, will develop hyperglycemia in uh, acute disease. So if there is kind of acute infection, COVID for example, and there is a subgroup of people who will develop hyperglycemia during the disease, and then they are at very high risk to develop diabetes in the next few years, these people we can predict with something like 95% accuracy. So there is a huge potential, but obviously in this diabetes field, we still have to do more research. Great, so um, there are different glycans for different, that are predictors of different disease or markers of different uh, future diseases. Uh, but we don't know if those are um, biomarkers or on the pathway of the disease itself. Correct? Yes. Um, so people raising their hands, please be patient. We will bring you up for questions in around 10 minutes. Um, so um, tell us a little bit about, um, so Nicolina, you mentioned people wanting to change their glycanase through lifestyle. So could you tell us how diet, physical activity, smoking, etc., impacts glycanase? So just to go back on one thing you said, so you said it's an epigenetic clock. So it integrates your genetic um, influence or potential, and that influences 30 to 50% based on different glycans. It integrates your past environment through epigenetic influences, but also your current environment and lifestyle. So it's a more comprehensive or holistic view of looking at all of those different influences in one single uh, molecule that could be uh, reliably quantified. And w some things are pretty obvious. So we did a, also a big study with Tim Spector and another uh, weight loss study with it that looked at uh, 2000 twins over 20 years. And we saw that the twins which are gaining weight, they age faster. The twins which are losing weight, they age slower. And if you go on caloric restriction, and this was a diet actually before bariatric surgery, they reduce their glycan age within this just diet period, but then they also dramatically reduce six months post-surgery when they have a, a big drop of 15, 20 kilograms. So it's really uh, rapid uh, weight loss, and so which is nice because you know that the damage which is created by excess, extra weight can be completely reversed. Uh, with waste loss, but it's quite an obvious one. So if you're, it, it does correlate a lot uh, with BMI. It doesn't actually mean that your glycanate will be high if your BMI uh, is, is higher. Some people have a good score, even if they have a bit of a higher BMI. Uh, what's interesting, athletes with high muscle mass can also still be a little bit high. Not all of them, but they can be. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and then we also try to see if we can find the magic diet that works for, for everybody uh, and that's a paper they're drafting at the moment they uh, they looked at a thousand people uh, over a year and they went on five different diets from low carb to high carb uh, to high fat low fat high protein low protein and in each and every of the diet cohorts half people had positive ch changes half people had negative so really this 
personal, there's no one diet that works for everybody, and this personalization is the key. And that's something we see in our commercial customers as well. We had a number of clients who were on a keto diet, and they had a very high score. Uh, they also did some other blood work, and they saw that their lipids, uh, they had oxidized lipids, and they changed their diet from a keto to a more uh, they included back carbs to a more holistic diet, and they had a positive change of 10 years. Uh, we also had clients who had a generally bad diet, so they were not overweight, but they just ate uh, horrible food, <laughs> like mainly junk food, cereal. Uh, they were software developers, so their diet was the uh, worst profile of a diet you can find. <laughs> Is there a particular um, diet for software developers? <laughs> they had, this was actually a company, we, we tested the whole company of engineers, they were all in their 20s, maybe going to 30s, uh, some of them were a little bit overweight, others were skinny, and all of them were 10, 15, 20 years uh, older. They even had a joke going around the office that they were senior developers and they were competing, who is the most senior? The one who is the most senior, he'll pay, he'll pay for the test. Um, and the diet was the common denominator in the whole group there, so all of them were given a nutritionist. And we had a couple examples where they literally, one of them literally started eating more vegetables. So he didn't change anything particular apart from cooking his food and having more vegetables. And within six months, he reduced 10 years. And we've seen more clients as well who are just integrating more whole food or fruit and vegetables in diversity, which is having a positive effect on their microbiome. And they see pretty reliable uh, reduction in glycogen. Uh, did you want to say something before I go into exercise? No, go, go ahead. So we looked at also different types of exercise. And we did that because we first, a couple of years ago, started with a big study uh, of a thousand people in, in their 40s and 60s going to the gym for the first time. And that study was never published because they kept on getting negative results. So basically, they would, their glycan age would be going up and up uh, the more they train and the longer we follow them. And one of these reasons was that when you go to the gym, uh, you're, you're, you're you put in an intensive exercise program and usually they combine dieting and exercise. So they put you in a tense dieting and exercise program together. And when we looked at smaller cohorts of people and compete uh, and sport competitions, we saw that if you just exercise, so if you do things like interval training or interval sprints, that will positively affect your glycan age and you will reduce your biological age uh, even within six to 12 weeks. So interval or, or uh, moderate training could be good for you, particularly if you have enough recovering within the training. But when we looked at um, bodybuilding competitions, and these were mainly um, normal weight individuals, and this was actually a woman, and they combined intensive dieting together with intensive exercise. And there was a cohort which did the dieting and exercise and one which just did the exercise. Uh, the dieting and the exercise had a very pro-inflammatory change or their biological age increased dramatically. And it's actually the combination of uh, the diet and intense exercise which worked against them or it was too much stress for the body. So if you're already piling on stress by changing the shape of your body or building muscle, then you shouldn't really combine it with caloric deficiency because you're not feeding the repair of this damage. Because uh, every time you exercise, you're doing tissue damage, you're, you're building new muscle. And that's good because if you do a little bit of damage or you have this acute stress, it wakes up the system that we have to regenerate. So we're not like 
classical machines. We're machines which can regenerate ourselves. So if you we shock our system, we wake this up, we wake up the system that was asleep and the tissue becomes even a little bit younger. But if you if we do too much damage and we don't fuel the repair, then that turns into low-grade chronic inflammation and that's bad for our health and long-term health outcomes. And that's something we see in athletes very commonly. They can have a higher score, uh, up to 10, 15 years if they're pro athletes. Not all of them, some have phenomenally low scores, but the ones which have low scores, they really combine it with a lot of recovery, with appropriate nutrition, and they invest just as much in their more regenerating medicine side as they do in their intensive exercise. So how much you exercise and making sure you don't overtrain. And another thing, another reason why we know that this is not just your glycanase going up and that this is some kind of error margin showing you that uh, and that you should listen to this information is that when we did a study with uh, the bikini fitness models, they also looked at um, uh, gene expression and all the immune cells and everything was altered into a more pro-inflammatory state. Uh, they also lose their cycle, so in a way, overexercise can mimic um, menopause, and they lose bone density, so it can mimic, mimic osteopenia. So that's at least three levels where it impacts accelerated aging. Uh, so that's quite an interesting one on exercise. And then we don't. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I can add something here. Sorry for interrupting. Go. Go so um, there are often questions when there are different aging markers is what does it actually mean you know if you improve an aging marker does it mean that you can have actually improved something especially if epigenetics is in, in, in question and here for glycans it's, it's very simple because this is a very complex marker we only measure 24 molecules and out of these 24 it's actually key uh, three key features which are pro and anti-inflammatory and we know that these which we called old in the glycan age test are promoting inflammation and those which we call young are suppressing inflammation. So it's, um, it's really a functional effector. It's not only a biomarker. And have you looked at tobacco and alcohol? I assume the impact is very high on glycan age. It's actually not. So we looked at both smoking and, and we, well, um, if somebody is an alcoholic and if there is already a, a liver damage, yes, of course, it's, everything is altered, especially glycation. But the moderate drinking is not showing a big effect and uh, smoking is not, so, not showing a very large effect. So it's, um, the, the, this type, uh, these IgG glycans are actually something which is not too sensitive for smoking and, and alcohol. That's interesting. Um, um, and what about some of the um, so-called um, interventions for cellular aging? So intermittent fasting, cryotherapy, some of the supplements people take. Have you had a chance to look at any of those? So we haven't done proper placebo-controlled randomized trials for most of them. We do see effect of intermittent fasting whether it goes directly or it goes through the changes in microbiome, we don't know. We know the changes in microbiome are also changing the glycol. And uh, we are now trying to find some properly placebo-controlled randomized trials. One we did recently was um, 
uh, hormone optimization. So the the both testosterone and estrogen are very strong regulators of IgG glycosylation. But actually, even even for men, it's estrogen because if you supplement testosterone and block conversion of testosterone to estrogen what many people do because usually when they try to raise testosterone the testosterone is being converted to estrogen and then they are not happy so they use this uh, inhibitor of aromatase which prevents conversion to estrogen then the glycans do not get improved so it's estrogen which helps improve IgG glycosylation in both women and men. Okay, um, so we'll move on to questions. Uh, one more question from me, though, um, which is more of a philosophical one. So in the future, what do you think we should regard as ageing? Um, our chronological age or our biological age? I think there will be many, many um, different pathways to uh, molecular aging, which we will recognize in the future. I think the, the chronological aging, you know, just counting the number of circles around the sun, this is the least informative. But there will be other types of aging. For example, the metabolic aging is very important, which is not directly the glycan aging. Glycan aging is more the aging of the immune system and inflammation. So I think eventually, we will have several different indexes where we will quantify aging and then based on these different aging indexes we will uh, have a dedicated intervention and kind of uh, ways to postpone the damage hope it well one of the things of course the lifestyle but some pharmacological intervention is also uh, promising Uh, Nicolene, anything to add to that before we move to questions? I, I think it all goes back to preventive health. So the nice potential uh, of glycans and, and medicine in the future is that we won't just be waiting until something happens or we won't have just the diagnostic markers which can identify what went wrong, but we'll have these markers which can tell us uh, what will happen in the future. So I think when we look at aging, we'll also have to look at um, ageotypes are different ways we will start to age in the future so we can influence those pathways uh, early on and maybe even in our early 20s and 30s where it's the easiest to make a, uh, a change that will impact us for the next 20, 30 years. Uh, Gordon, I was just sending you a paper on smoking, so <laughs> I wasn't sure I about know, the smoking it's, statement. <laughs> it's, it's our paper, Nicolina, I know the paper, so there are some effects but they are not very strong. So it's you know ten times weaker than the than the estrogen and much weaker than the the weight loss. So yes, there are some effects of smoking, but they're not not so strong. Please send me the paper as well. <laughs> I'd be interested to read that. Great. Um, thanks for a fantastic panel discussion. Let's move on to questions. <laughs> 